Hello again and welcome to Deep Roots, the podcast brought to you by Oak Hill College, where we have conversations about theology and ministry. My name is Tim Ward, I'm on the faculty here and I'm joined by my uh, two of my New Testament colleagues who can introduce themselves. Um, I'm Sydney Tooth and I yeah, teach New Testament and Greek. Uh, I'm David Shaw, I'm one of the vice principals and alongside that I uh, teach New Testament and Greek and some biblical theology. Tremendous. Now, uh, today we are talking about Galatians. Occasionally in these podcasts we pick on a particular Bible book, and today we're in into Galatians. About 17 or 18 years ago, I think, when I was a pastor, I preached through Galatians, and a number of things really opened up to me that I hadn't quite seen before, and I've ever since then, uh, Galatians has meant quite a bit to me. Just something brief for each of you, and just where sort of where book of Galatians fits for you, as a, maybe as a Christian and someone who studies Scripture. Um, I think for me, I Paul is my specialty, so it's certainly within the family of what I study. But um, Galatians, well, when I was choosing my PhD topic, I said I wanted to avoid Galatians and Romans, so it's tended to sit in the background a little bit. But okay, because um, you're a Thessalonians expert, aren't you? Yes, yes. Um, but uh, I was just rereading it over lunch, and it was it's a joy. So I'm looking forward to talking about it. Terrific. David, for you? And for me, well, it's it's been a book that I've taught here at college over the years. So one of our New Testament courses would work through uh, the book of Galatians. So it's been a book I've worked on there. Um, most recently, though, I've been preaching through it at church. So um, as of uh, last Sunday, we made it into Galatians 5, um, and uh, we'll be finishing that off over the next uh, month or so. Mm. This has so. been quite a long series, hasn't it, you've been preaching through? Yeah, so um, the the church I serve at, um, we've, for a variety of reasons, um, been slightly thin on preachers available. And so um, here I am uh, trying to uh, to fill in and serve the church well. And so, yeah, I had the chance to, to preach consecutively through Galatians uh, since since November. Terrific. You know, in a minute we'll begin there. I have um, two ways of introducing Galatians. Um one sublime and one ridiculous. Let's start with the ridiculous one. You probably know this already, but I remember this being a moment of sort of revelation to me. Um, Galatia is Tur- modern-day Turkey, right, isn't it? Um, the Galatians, ethnically, are related to the Celts and the Gauls way out the other side, originally apparently Central Europe, and some went west to the fringes there, and others went east and ended up in Turkey. You probably know all this, and so... Celt, Gaul, Galatia, that's not an accident. Here was the moment of uh, revelation where I realised that watching Champions League football on TV is not entirely spiritually useless. One of the top Turkish football teams is called Galatasaray. So, I I mean, I take it that, I don't know, but I take it that's not an accident. Um, Lessons in New Testament while watching Champions League football. That's my justification. That's the ridiculous one. Here's the sublime Martin Luther from his lectures on Galatians. Here's the first line, the argument of St. Paul's epistle to the Galatians. First of all, we must speak of the argument, that is, of the issue with which Paul deals in this epistle. The argument is this. Paul wants to establish the doctrine of faith, grace, the forgiveness of sins or Christian righteousness, so that we may have a perfect knowledge and know the difference between Christian righteousness and all other kinds of righteousness. Now that gets right to the heart of how central and vital Galatians is in establishing the gospel. And I guess many people will know, historically, particularly for Luther, it had that very, a very particular role in just the establishment of a, 
of a right kind of righteousness over against false kinds of righteousness. Now, there you go. That was the ridiculous and the sublime. David, you've been preaching through. Mm. Just tell us, as you've been working through it again now from the angle of a preacher, what are some of the what are some of the key themes that have you've been wanting to pull out and the ways in which you've been wanting to apply them in the lives of uh, the church family? Uh, yeah, the um, the sublime is very sublime, isn't it? Uh, and the the idea that Galatians speaks to us of um, God's great gift, His grace towards humanity, is is very striking, and is, that's that's been one theme I've I've tried to bring out. Uh, it's it's there in those very opening words where Paul, in a kind of characteristic way, talks about grace and peace from God the Father. Um, but the the way that Galatians, in some ways, never sets aside that theme always wants to speak about how our salvation is one that God has brought to us, not one that we kind of ascend up to God through some sort of steps or rituals or, or obedience, um, but this idea that God is the one who has come towards us. Uh, and so that's been one theme to try and sound right the way right the way through. Um, it comes out really beautifully in um, sort of chapter three, where you know Paul is talking about how you begun in a certain way, and now are you thinking that you can continue on in a different mode? You began by the spirit, are you now going to go on by the flesh? That sort of language. Um, but one of the things that he wants to draw attention to there is um, who's been at work. Um, it's not that um, you have been you've enjoyed these blessings through you working, but rather God has been working amongst you. So um, in that way, it's not even the the idea that either we are going to exercise faith or we are going to perform works. Um, rather, it's the thought that God has worked rather than us, um, that what God has done is to send his son and spirit into the world. And that is the way that we're released from the curse of the law. We are set free. We are brought into into his family. So the um, yeah, that, that consistent idea that it's it's God who has worked, God who has come near. Um, Luther Luther picks up on that really beautifully. He he talks about how righteousness is like the rain. There's nothing that the land does to to call the rain down, but it it comes from from above uh, and then brings good things with it. So that's been one theme. Uh, the other the other would be to push just a little bit past or beyond Luther. So. Um, he, in that introduction, talks about how the argument of Galatians is is the truth of justification by faith and not another kind of mm. righteousness. Mm. I think that's um, that's clearly a really important part of Galatians. But Paul does go beyond that to say, um, why is it that God has shown us that grace? Why is it that he has redeemed us from the curse of the law? It's so that we might enjoy sonship, adoption. Um, and, and so I think Galatians has has helped us enjoy the thought, not merely that we are set free from certain things, set free from um, condemnation for our sin, um, but also we are we enjoy the freedom of sonship mm. um, and, and the knowledge that um, God is at work in us, that Christ lives in us. Those, those blessings of um, being believers have been ones that I think we've, we've tried to enjoy. And that's right at the heart in chapters three and four, isn't it? Yeah. That's where Paul really... Yeah, yeah, that's right. That, that out. And on into, I mean, this is, as I said, this is um, bringing us up to last Sunday morning. I'm thinking then when Paul says, for freedom you've been set free, mm. what, is, what does he mean by that? It is a freedom from, but it is also the freedom of knowing that you're not servants or slaves in this household. You are sons um, and, and sons united to Jesus. 
and so heirs and co-heirs with him. Um, the, the freedom that says, I, I belong here in this family. I'm not a servant who could get pulled, um, pulled in for some appraisal and dismissed. I don't, I don't have to, um, uh, to earn, my, earn my way. Rather, I have um, the, the freedom to know I belong. I am at home here. Um, this God is, is my father. Um, we, we reached a little into the, you know, we are, we are all, each and every one of us, heirs and not spares within God's family, which is um, uh, a, a Christy Mare line and a very good one. Excellent. A little something for uh, British listeners there. Indeed. <laughs> That's really lovely to hear those reflections, David, and um, really encouraging to think through um, what Galatians has to say to us and, and the difference that makes for Christian living today. I wonder... We've talked about a lot of the really um, helpful, positive bits, and I wonder if Galatians is not always the easiest book um, for individual readers, even for scholars. Um, and I think, I, as I read it sometimes, I'm really struck by how different it is from some of Paul's letters. There's no thanksgiving. There's some quite harsh statements. And I wonder for you, as you're preparing on preaching through mm. it, how you've dealt with some of those difficulties and, and thought about how to communicate it. Mm, yeah. Um, who, yeah. Who, who were you wishing would go and emasculate themselves <laughs> from the pulpit? Right. Um, so uh, <laughs> it's, a great, I mean, it's a great question, and it is one of the big challenges of, of preaching Galatians. In part, there are just, there's a concentration of very difficult passages to try and interpret. Um, as you read commentators, you find them almost passage after passage saying, this is the hardest passage in Paul, and um, I don't quite know what it means. And then they move on to the next one and say something quite similar. So there's, there's the difficulty of Galatians in that way. It is dense. Um, but also the, the tone, um, and as you say, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. Um, you foolish Galatians. I wish that these people who are troubling you would go and emasculate themselves. Uh, there's a lot of very strong language there. And so um, what do you do? Um, how do you handle that? I think I've just a, f- a few things, and I'd, I'd love your kind of thoughts and reflections on it all too. Um, one is, I'm always trying to think when preaching through a letter of Paul, what is his tone towards this congregation? And a, and a somewhat separate question is, um, where are my congregation at and what might they need to hear? So I, I don't simply think my congregation need a good telling off. Galatians is the kind of one tool I pull out because that's the telling off one. Um, I And I've, I've tried to be quite careful going through Galatians at various points to say, Paul is clearly exasperated and concerned about them. Um, I want to encourage you that I see lots of good fruit and encouragement in, in how I... Um, how I see you relating to to the Lord and to one another. So you you want to make that sort of distinction. The the tone it can sometimes get exaggerated. So get into chapter four and there's there's language of real tenderness and how hmm. um, Paul speaks of of himself as a mother, a a longing to be able to speak gently and warmly to his children. He's in the pains of childbirth. Yeah, yeah. So there's. And in some ways, it's striking that Paul, the pastor, wants to be there. That's where he wants to be. He doesn't. He doesn't want to be confronting and challenging. He does. He wants to be that warm father and mother that he speaks about in, in Thessalonians and elsewhere. That's that's the default setting, and that's that's helpful for the kind of shock jock pastor who thinks I my job here is to work myself into a bit of a lather and and shout at them because that's how change happens. That's that's not Paul's disposition at all. 
Then uh, what to do with the fact that still Paul is um, is very blunt and firm in this letter. I think there's there's a particular responsibility that he feels for this church that he planted, that he's been a father and a mother to in, in that more direct sense. And he sees them being led off into slavery, back into slavery and away from the Lord Jesus. And that rightly really troubles and upsets Paul. Um, a friend of mine who's uh, preached through Galatians, I remember him starting off um, wanting to say how how deeply we feel the injustice of slavery, um, how rightly impassioned the, the abolition um, movement was. Paul is, Paul is in Galatians leading a fight for freedom and a kind of abolition of slavery movement, which which rightly calls for for passion um, and an energy. And I think that that can be a, a help. Um, one of one of the challenges then is probably thinking, what sort of situation in the life of a church does call for that? And um, it's clearly amongst Paul's letters a very rare scenario where you've got a, a false teacher intentionally drawing people away from the faith. And um, and so people at risk of being alienated from Christ. That's very different from a, a pastoral situation where the church have decided that they don't think my plan for home groups is the right one uh, or any other kind of far more trivial thing mm. that, <clears throat> that occasionally and tragically congregations have rated about. Yeah. What you were saying a moment ago about um, uh, it was, Galatians is not just an invitation to the contemporary picture to stand up and go, you're a bunch of idiots, I'm astonished you, you're departing from the gospel. That I, That's incredibly helpful because that, I think that's a point that reveals that what is a sort of basically helpful starting point often given to preachers is that the purpose of the passage should be the purpose of the sermon, mm. um, needs massively to be qualified. And for myself, I mean, this could be a whole other podcast, but this is why, I, I mean, I find the Puritan pattern in application of distinguishing different spiritual states in front of you and taking the time to apply very differently to a number of carefully delineated spiritual states is, is absolutely crucial. So, I, yes, I mean, in any congregation, I hear in Galatians, I take it, there will be some people who need to hear from their pastor, I am astonished that. And you're, in whatever are the appropriate words, this is foolish. Who's bewitched you? I, I lo- just, I, with all my heart, I long for this not to be happening. That, but also for a whole bunch of other people to hear how wonderful it is that you are not departing the gospel in any way I can discern. <laughs> and so I think particularly with Galatians, making those distinctions and taking the time for, to allow people to see my pastor is astonished over me or my pastor is delighted in what he sees. and the, That's really crucial. Hmm. But the... Going on for another thing I would want to ask is, so I think that every Bible study leader or preacher on Galatians is going to have to work out for themselves in application. It's, so it's about temptation to circumcision. It's about temptation to uh, follow Jewish religious calendar. At least that's what's referred to. As you came to identify for people hearing you, the contemporary equivalents that either they are attempting to add to their Christian faith or might be, which are unlikely to be circumcision and bowing down to the new moon, new moon, new moon. what were you identifying? Hmm. So uh, we've um, 
try to do that in different ways. One of one of the ways to do it would be to think about that difference between being a um, a servant and a son. Um, and so the the thought that if I relate to God thinking of myself more as a servant than a son, then I am going to um, to think of um, good things that I enjoy as things that I have earned, things that I've deserved. Um, so there's a there's just a way of framing our relationship with God that thinks of um, the uh, of um, well, in, in one of the early sermons, I was trying to help people think why on earth would this be an attractive thing? Yeah, um, and and to try and get under the skin of why might it be tempting to to start to think that we make some sort of contribution, that there are things that we need to do, even if, you know, in, in that particular case, there are some things that are going to be physically painful to do. Why would you do that? Uh, and and I said two things. One is pride, um, that we, as human beings, we find it very difficult to, to receive things freely as gift. We would much rather think that we have earned it. And that is, that is simply, well, for lots of reasons, but... But one of them is oh, you shouldn't have. I haven't um, bought you anything. <laughs> yeah, every birthday. It um, it allows. Um, <laughs> thank you for that little insight into um, into the ward household there. Um, <laughs> uh, no, that, that's just an anecdote from visiting somebody else's house. It's nothing. Oh, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Any any um, resemblance to persons living or dead. So, um, why is it attractive to us? Um, the the thought that I would be able to say I enjoy this thing because. I, in some way, can give myself kudos for deserving it, for meriting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And therefore, not not just to feel good about myself, but also to be able to say, as I look around other people, um, I stand over them. I'm a little bit further ahead from them in the race. And that, as you see Jesus interacting with the Jews of his day, as um, as you realise, actually, just there is revealed something of our common human nature, um, then... The, the desire to, to find almost anything, to be able to say, this is why God picked me, this is why I'm a little more important around here and more valued than others around me. Mm. It's why Paul is going to spend so much time in chapters 5 and 6 talking about how it's exactly the flesh that is this divisive, judgmental sort of spirit. And actually the, the fruit of being able to say with Paul that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me is to be able to say, this is this is wonderful gift, and I I haven't done anything to deserve it. I look around and think we are all together being um, blessed recipients of things that we haven't earned. But the but the temptation towards pride in in whatever around the life of the church marks somebody out as somehow a little bit more spiritual, one who's one who's the proper Christian. Um, asking what that what that looks like in the life of the church is mm. is one thing. The the temptation to pride is behind it. And then also I, I've just tried to talk a bit about the temptation to control, to to want to be able to stay in control of our lives. And that makes it really appealing to relate to God as if there were terms and conditions, as if there were an employment, an employment contract that said, I am due to give you these hours, um, and in return for those hours, I'm entitled to these things. And I, I think in the back of my mind, it's, um, it is it is um, wickedly easy to want to be able to relate to God on those terms because it means I put something in and I'm guaranteed to get something out. But also I do have that measure of control. I am able to say I 
I'm entitled to these things and to clock off now. In that, in that older brother and the prodigal son sort of moment, um, that, uh, that's, that's an instinct that we've, that we've talked um, a little around. One of, I think one of the most unsettling thoughts in Galatians is the thought that actually to, to put your trust in Jesus and to be united with him is to say that I have died and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. My my life is over and it is it not my It is no my longer own. I like, no longer I who live. Right. And God can therefore, I am in that, I am abandoning all control over my life. And that's, that's a very different um, calling. It's one that, you know, with Paul is going to mean bearing... Um, in our bodies in some ways the marks of following Jesus and the cost of following Jesus um, th- this message that he's preaching is one that is really offensive you know if he were still preaching circumcision then then why is he still being persecuted Paul sees that this this message that there really is nothing special about you or me that means God has shown me his mercy and grace is a really offensive one because well no we we love to think there's something that marks me out Thank you. That's yeah, massively helpful. That really, I think that really helps dig into, which I think really opens up a whole bunch of applications. What you've done there, you, I think you've just dug into the, what, what you call it, the spiritual psychology, the spiritual patterns of thought and assumptions that lie behind the mistakes that the Galatians are making. It's when you tap into that so often, isn't it, that suddenly now you can see, oh, goodness me, we, 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 do, we do similar sorts of things. We have similar sorts of problems. Yeah, terrific. One of, I mean, this was this was. Um, I'm going to talk about this just because it was it was on the cutting room floor. It didn't make it quite into the sermon, but I, um, I, I was struck by it. Um, the we we took we paused briefly the series come the end of Galatians four, where we've been talking a lot about basically in different ways the gift of a child, um, God's work in sending His Son into the into the world, born under the law. Um, and it's a very Christmassy sort of section. Um, the the way that we move from Christmas um, in our culture, the way that we move from Christmas, which properly is a great celebration of what God has done sending his son into the world, we then emerge straight into January and suddenly start making New Year's resolutions. And our eyes come entirely off the thought of generosity and gift and grace and straight into how I'm going to put myself right and fix me. And that's just as most people know, that is a that's almost the fastest route from feasting to to glum despondency and 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 just a miserable January, even if it weren't the British weather. And that that in the Christian life is just is a transition uh, that we that we easily make. It's a really deforming sort of liturgy culturally to go from Christmas into resolutions, and um, and far better to try and hold on to and remain. Um, thinking of our relationship to God as as one of gift of having been brought in as sons to to enjoy that, um, in, enjoy that relationship, which is a good place for Epiphany to come in mm. in lit- the liturgical year, um, <clears throat> and even thinking about Galatians talking about it as a revelation from God and 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 um, thinking about the gift of Epiphany I think has made my January much brighter than it is sometimes. Terrific, yes. We're recording this here in the dark end of January, as we are. Thank you. Now let's um, let's move from sort of those details of preaching Galatians. We're going to sort of back up a little bit. We've touched on this a bit already. One of the big topics in Galatians is justification. Many people 
watching and listening will be aware of you know, debates that have long been running about what does justification language in the Bible mean? What does it particularly mean in Galatians? Um, if it's okay, I, let me just kick, kick this off with what I thought I saw when I preached through Galatians that I, that I found helpful, and then you can nuance, correct, affirm entire rightness of, entirely as you see fit. Um, when I preached through Galatians and then did a bit of work on it afterwards uh, to, to teach it when I was working at the Cornhill training course, I was in the end persuaded by some things I found in Doug Moo and his commentary and other writings on Galatians, where he says, I think in effect, um, language of justification in Galatians tends towards a sense of vindication, particularly vindication on the last day. So when um, one of you know one of the key verses, chapter five, verse five, is it when it says. Um, for now this is the NIV for through the spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope I mean in, I mean literally in Greek it's simply the hope of righteousness and that's how ESV translates it NIV slightly interprets the righteousness for which we hope strongly signaling there is in a sense a, a righteousness to come which it, is not at all denying, Doug Moo obviously insists, not at all denying an orthodox understanding of justification now, right standing before God now, entirely on the basis of Christ's work, not our own performance. But there is a sense in which on the last day there will be a universal declaration of that, which hasn't yet happened. There will be, a, because of that, a universal vindication in the eyes of the whole world for every believer, which right now we don't have, and that's a source of difficulty and, and, and suffering for us very often. So that's his argument. Galatians is particularly looking forward to that. And key evidence would be, you know, his key accusation against them is in chap beginning of chapter three, is that they are going on in the wrong way. Having begun in the spirit, so they've begun the right way. Why are you now continuing by flesh and not by spirit? is what effectively he says at the beginning of three. So the focus is on how you go on. And it, in the end, Galatians, if I've read me rightly, is about um, how a Christian who has been justified in Christ remains in that justified standing, or perhaps more strictly we should say, should continue to live in a way that demonstrates that they do indeed have that right standing before God now so as to be confident on the last day. And Paul's answer is, it's not going to be by adding works of law or any other obedience to faith for confidence of right standing. It will be, um, as chapter 5 also says, faith, uh, faith expressing itself in love, allowing the spirit with whom you've begun now to bring about a life of godliness and righteousness in you as you walk with the spirit. Rather. So that would be my, if I've got it right, a kind of potted summary of what I was I is persuaded of and I found particularly in Doug Moo. Let me throw that in there uh, as what one preacher got to some years ago. What, what would you do? Pick that up and run with it or throw it away, whatever you want. Um, I, 
from a Galatians perspective, I'll be interested to see what David has to say, but um, I, I'm not meant to mention Thessalonians in this podcast. No, you but can't, I'm going to mention Thessalonians. Me, um, I, I, I think it tracks really nicely with a lot of the uh, way Thessalonians talks about salvation as a current but future okay. event, and it is about standing blameless before um, the Lord on the day he comes, and, and you're either in the group that is saved or is destroyed. Um, and I, I hadn't actually, until you said that, connected that with Galatians very much about Galatians being more about what that looks like in the here and now and, and how, how you live between now and then as well. But I would be interested to hear your take on it, David. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one of the really helpful lines from from Tom Wright actually on, on justification is to talk about how um, the... The way that Paul thinks of justification is a final judgment sort of verdict of God. Are people condemned or justified, condemned or acquitted, condemned or vindicated? Uh, that is a kind of end time discussion. Um, and what what for Paul is happening in the gospel is that that, that verdict is brought into the present. Um, not to replace that kind of future verdict, but um, for, for people to know that I am justified now in the present and therefore certain of that future vindication so living between those two points um, is I think written across all of Paul's letters so you'd you'd see it in in Romans um, so Romans 5 verse 1 um, since we've been justified and um, we we enjoy these blessings justification very much a, um, something in the past that that we can now speak of other blessings flowing from but come the end of chapter 8 that thought of um, who is the one who is going to vindicate, who who can justify, mm. um, who is going to condemn, that thought of on the final day, we know that we will be justified um, publicly, visibly, um, because we have been justified already by faith. So yep. Christian life lived between those those two and that thought that um, there is that, that public vindication of God, of his son um, and of his people, um, all of that um, of indication to come is is Galatians um, kind of pushing towards that future pole. Mm. I think uh, well, Doug Moose careful to say there are clearly places where a kind of past justification is in is in view. Yeah. Abraham believed God; it was credited Jesus. to him as righteousness. Yeah. Um, chapter three, and I I think it'd be it'd be strange if if Paul were kind of moving entirely away from that um, that sort of framework of um, of being justified in the present mm. and therefore confident of vindication in the future. Yeah, the um, there are, as you say, in chapter five. I think that's a clear place where that idea of a righteousness that is um, a hope for us um, is um, is something that is um, is there in the future and and our orient and those last few chapters pushing towards that and saying what does it look like to live knowing that that is the future. Um, and uh, and so with with that hope in view, faith works its way out through love. There's Paul's three yeah, favourite yeah. words all over again. Do, do, um, I, so on five five, mm. do you think the NIV has basically interpreted rightly? So original Greek, just hope of righteousness, and ESV just catches that. Now that that could be taken. Hope of righteousness could be taken to be. Righteousness only backward looking and referring to the present, 
but that will give us things to hope for in the future. And the NIV seems not to be taking that line, but to say that there's an element of the thing called, which it translates here, righteousness. There's an element of that which we still hope for and therefore is still to come, and that would be final universal declaration of vindication. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good way to translate it. I, it is certainly not in contradiction with what Paul says elsewhere of both a, a past and a, and a future um, hope and expectation for that. And I, I think it, it helps us with those last couple of chapters in Galatians where at worst they can just be characterised as, yeah. uh, well, we've, we've talked a lot about um, faith we don't need to get the misunderstanding that it's okay to go and do whatever you want. So we'd better just put in some ethical instruction at the end or something. And, and in my memory of reading commentaries, some really brilliant commentaries by some great, wonderful people who I appreciate a lot, basically say that about chapters five and six. Hmm. Yeah. Which I increasingly found not persuasive. Yeah. So better is? So um, so better is the thought that Paul is, Paul is talking about um, how it is that we can be confident of that day um, even if that reference um, in the start of chapter 5 isn't to that justification that is to come, Paul is talking through chapters 5 and 6 about those who can be confident of entering the kingdom of God. And and it is those in whom the Spirit is at work, bearing fruit, um, and uh, and so to, to commit ourselves to that with, with that hope in store. So the uh, the way that those chapters aren't simply a kind of remedial let's be sure they don't go off the rails um, ethically, but um, but built into Paul's um, gospel that he's shared with them is the thought of um, entering into the kingdom on that final day and that um, what God has done through his Son and his Spirit is sufficient to get you there. It's why Paul doesn't talk about um, either the works of the flesh or um, or your works in the power of the Spirit or something. The, the fact that it is the fruit of the Spirit in contrast to the works of the flesh um, and want, wanting to emphasize what God has given you in his son and in his spirit um, is um, is sufficient um, to get you there. The um, uh, That's a thought which I think is is sown through those earlier chapters in ways that we that we don't always um, pay attention to. And um, so the I think it's easy to think Galatians one to four, you're justified by faith. Yeah. And then the kind of idea of a transformed Christian life just gets tacked on on the end. And it was I, a sort of Roman style heading off someone who might say, well, let's sin so grace may abound. Yeah. We're yeah. saying chapters five and six are just not, not that at all. Yeah. So the idea that um, Christ lives in me, um, mm. Galatians 2.20, uh, and uh, then um, when Paul in Galatians 4 wants to talk about how, I mean, it's this, it's this curious mixed metaphor. He's in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Um, so it's actually their bodies and lives in which Christ is being formed. Um, but that that idea of the Christian life not simply being um, set free from the, the punishment for sin and and the confidence of acquittal, but also um, the, the great gift of Christ dwelling in us, being formed in us, and what what Galatians 5 in particular is going to do is help us to see that is the ministry of the Spirit. Um, he's he's already been the one who um, brings us into sonship and adoption and inheritance. Um, he's also the one through whom 
Christ is is formed in us. Um, and so um, that's that's also, I think, what energizes those last couple of chapters. Not just that question of how are you going to endure until that final day, but let's continue exploring what God has done by his Son and his Spirit in you. Mm. Tim, do you want to ask any more about justification? Or? Uh Yes. Yes. But we're not but not now. <laughs> not now. We Yeah, we're about to head into a topic, aren't we, about which I genuinely know nothing and you two now n- know your stuff. So Sydney, kick us off. Yeah, well I with Galatians, Galatians um I guess along with Romans are are the two that talk the most about justification. And because of that they've been a real centre point of Pauline scholarship and debates. Um and, and there's various bits of that we could talk about but I think one that while we have David uh, with us um, to talk about um, and because Galatians was the starting point for a lot of this is what's called the apocalyptic um, Paul the apocalyptic interpretation of Paul and I'll let David talk about it a bit more but I think some things in Galatians that uh, really stand out for me sometimes are the ways Paul talks about um, receiving the gospel as a revelation which is apocalyptic language in some texts, and as well the way he talks about, uh, when he's talking about slavery, it's being free from the elemental principles of this world. Mm. And those are some of the trickier bits that have been picked up by scholars. Um, So I'm going to hand over to David to give us a little introduction to that. Okay. Uh, Yes, the, the idea that Paul is an apocalyptic writer or thinker is one that's been um, championed in the last, particularly the last kind of 10 years or so, it's become um, a really popular idea in a lot of New Testament scholarship. When when people hear the word apocalyptic, they might think of a few different things. They might think uh, the idea of the future return of Jesus, that's, that's apocalyptic, mm-hmm. a kind of idea of eschatology. And um, that's, in the past, people have meant that those sorts of ideas are a little bit more um, there's a an author called J. Christian Becker who wrote a um, a wonderful book called Paul, um, uh, and the Apocalyptic Triumph. Yeah, that's right. So there's um, uh, there's a couple of books um, that um, either just Paul the Apostle or and um, the Apocalyptic Triumph of God is the is the subtitle to one of his works, and he's emphasising very much the future return of Jesus. Um, You'd be hard-pressed, though, to emphasise that um, and to do it on the back of Galatians, given that, apart from one or two verses that we've discussed already, it actually doesn't Mm. talk much about the the future return of Jesus. Um, Other people have thought, um, if you're going to talk about Paul as an apocalyptic theologian, then that must have something to do with Jewish apocalypses, um, texts that speak of revelations being made. And some people have wanted to make that that connection to Galatians, where um, Paul talks about how... Um, that God's um, God in his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. And the verb is apocalypto, to, um, to mm. reveal, to make known. And people thought that might be, that might be a link in. Um, as it happens, though, the, the idea that Paul is apocalyptic doesn't really track with either the future return of Jesus or those Jewish texts, apocalypses like the book of Revelation. They, they go in a slightly different direction. Um, they, they want to emphasise... For Paul, his gospel is apocalyptic in the sense that it it speaks of a humanity enslaved by hostile powers that God liberates us from. Um, for, for the apocalyptic movement, if there's one basic idea to, to Paul, it is that 
human beings are enslaved to um, the law, to sin, to death, to the flesh. And those are, are almost characters in a drama for Paul that enslave humanity. And what they want to argue is that for Paul, the gospel is, is not about human beings being forgiven for things that they've done wrong. It's about God's setting humanity free from these enslaving powers. And so uh, in Galatians, that uh, is um, clearly, there's, there's some language there in Galatians 3 about um, Paul rescuing us from um, slavery um, to, um, to the law, um, enslaved to sin uh, in some respects, and that idea of the, the elementary principles that we might be enslaved to. Uh, one of one of the other themes that they want to draw on is um, is more of a question of eschatology and the timings of of salvation. Wanting to emphasise, though, very often a, a very definitive in Jesus, God has changed everything um, to say that really you divide the whole of human history into a before and an mm. after. That there's um, there is a before, then Jesus has come, and that is the great turning point. So in in all of this, one of the little battles that that runs is between some people who want to emphasise Paul as a very kind of salvation historical thinker, that there are lots of points on his timeline that build up to the coming of Jesus. And the apocalyptic crowd, one of the things they want to emphasise is, no, there really is a, a very definitive break. Um, they, um, One of the concerns about the movement is just how far they're prepared to go in speaking about that. So... They will essentially talk about God stepping into a world that has fallen out of his control and him coming into the world is him regaining control. And there are, um, there are some obvious um, issues with that. Mm. Um, the, uh, go on, what do, you, what do you want to ask? Oh, first of all, the apocalyptic crowd sounds like an evening that you really would or would not want to go to, <laughs> depending... No, on how, how up for it you really were. For those who are interested in these things, the key names in scholarship pushing yes. this are? Yeah, great. So um, J. Louis Martin is one of the, the kind of founding fathers of that modern group. He um, wrote a commentary on Galatians for the Anchor series and in lots of ways is looked to as a father figure. Then there are a number who, who kind of have worked with him and... Uh, and studied under him. So Martinus de Boer has written another commentary and the New Testament library um, commentary on Galatians. Um, he's written a, a PhD on Romans as well. Um, Beverly Gaventa uh, is another New Testament scholar who's written on Luke and um, uh, various other topics, but has written a good amount on uh, on Galatians and on Romans um, and advancing a sort of similar idea that in, that in Romans, Paul is... Um, speaking about sin and death there as these cosmic terrorists, as these tyrants that we need mm. setting free from. Mm. Um, and so she's very influential. And then uh, Douglas Campbell uh, is um, one of the other kind of leading proponents. There are some disagreements between them, um, but Doug Campbell writes um, a lot about this. So in the uh, one of those little four views on books that come out, yeah, yeah. they put one out on four views of the Apostle Paul mm. and... Uh, there was um, there uh, an evangelical, a Catholic, a liberal, and then the fourth one. Interestingly, it, it wasn't the new perspective, which has been a, a big discussion that some some will have heard of. Um, the The title to the last chapter was the post new perspective perspective, um, catchily titled, <laughs> and that was that was written by Doug Campbell. Okay, and it was um, 
it was a treatment almost entirely of Romans 5 to 8 through that sort of lens. So these are kind of the cool new kids on the block of yeah. pushing the boundaries on Paul's. I mean, Sydney, from your perspective, overviewing the whole of Paul, what do you make of this kind of thing? Um, I think I, I think there is a lot of actually quite interesting and helpful stuff that comes out of the apocalyptic mm-hmm. school. I think I think what's interesting, as you've said, David, is they're not agreed actually um, among themselves on what sure. it means. And so it's not completely consistent. And I think working in Thessalonians, it was quite interesting that none of them make anything of first or second Thessalonians in their work. And, and those are Shame two. Shame on them. Shame <laughs> on them. <laughs> well, those are two of the arguably more apocalyptic in the yeah, traditional okay. sense of using yeah, yeah. Jewish apocalyptic yes. terms and, and having to do, if they want to go down the eschatology route, having to do with that. And so it's it, it very much has been centered more on the justification side, and that's why it's been centered around Romans uh, right. and Galatians. Um, I think I think some of the helpful things actually are thinking about, uh, you can weigh in on whether you agree with this or not, but I think some of the helpful things are, sin is an individual problem, but it's not just an individual problem either. And I think some of what I've found more helpful from the school is taking you to have a bigger view of how sin has impacted the world as a whole. And I, I wouldn't go along with a lot of what they argue, but mm. I think sometimes with students, I've, I've tried to show them some of that helpful side of thinking about more systemic issues of sin or um, how that's impacted and, and working that alongside the individual impact as well. Yeah. And those, I mean, those two things are often played off against each other, aren't they? As if it's a zero-sum game, the more you increase one, the less you'll downplay the other. But that, that's just silly, isn't it? You don't have to, that you can just have see both are true, I think. Yeah, and in fact, it, I mean, some of the really interesting pushback to some of the apocalyptic school has been, well, Jewish apocalypse could quite happily hold together the individual and the collective. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't you don't need to make them oppose each other either. I mean, that, that's going to be. I mean, if if you're preaching on the early verses of Galatians and you come to, you know, he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. That's really going to fill out, isn't it? The kind of things you might talk about. Have I, have I got that right? It is. I mean, for for Julie Martin, it's interesting. What what he'll argue on that verse in particular is he'll say um, Paul is is having to handle some traditional material. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of forgiveness of sins is is more traditional. But what Paul is doing in that verse is really signalling where where these churches might have started and what he really wants to move them onto. Um, so the idea that um, forgiveness of sins, it's traditional, I kind of have to quote it, but really I'm interested in this idea of being rescued from the present evil age. And that's that's the great liberation that's happened, Interesting. setting aside the idea of forgiveness of sins. And it it produces in Romans a, a variety of really quite curious readings where they're, they're trying to say Paul for the first few chapters is dealing with more traditional views of atonement but really what he wants to get to is Romans 5 to 8, which they want to argue is a is now a kind of gear change into, um, into this idea of um, a plight defined by enslavement to hostile powers. And at the, in most of the writings, it's, it's, really, it's right to acknowledge there's some variety. There are a few things that they, they do basically hold in common. The idea that um, God's wrath at sin and the significance of individual sins is something to really downplay. That huh. 
um, human beings are fundamentally enslaved victims of these powers. Yep. And if God is wanting to, to take on anything or is, um, is going to bring anything to judgment, it's those powers, not human beings. Um, and so um, they, they also all want to affirm, in the end, a universal salvation, that mm-hmm. um, God is going to liberate all of humanity um, from, from these powers. So, as Sidney said, there's, there's real truth in the fact that for Paul, the human plight isn't simply um, the things that we do wrong um, in, a, in a kind of simplistic way. Mm. Um, it is, the human situation is much more complex than that. In some ways, my concern is that they've still made it very simple. They've actually just boiled it down to we are enslaved and we need setting free. And actually, the ways in which we are complicit in moral situations which also aren't entirely under our control, you know, the, the very traditional idea of the world, the flesh and the devil actually gets towards a much richer hmm. a much more kind of a real and complex account of the human situation than, um, than, what, than what they're offering, I think. Terrific. Thank you. That's really, really helpful. Um, we ought to bring this to land. Um, let's try this. Um, I'll go first on this one. So while I'm talking, you can have, you can have chance to think, because I haven't given you very detailed warning of this. Um, just something personally for ourselves as Christians, or maybe using Galatians in ministry to others, perhaps the sort of the spiritual state or confusion or turmoil that you might find yourself in where you think it's, it's going to be Galatians that's most going to help me here. Um, for me, uh, it's when I think about my when I think my about my own sanctification. You know, when I guess some as, as believers we can oscillate between thinking it's going incredibly well. I'm clearly one of the godliest people in my church family. Through to it's going incredibly badly. Is there any discernible growth? And then, but then now, chapters five and six, as you've been describing them, David. It, the fruit of the Spirit is these things. The fruit of the Spirit is these things. You began with the Spirit. If there is a in you a walking in the Spirit, th- this is what the Spirit will bring. This is just what life in the Spirit will bring. We, Of course, we have to work and cooperate with him. But it's not. A, that's not attempting to do the impossible. The, the call to godliness is a call that God has made entirely possible, and he will bring it about in us if we continue to walk in the Spirit. I I find the particularly chapters 5 and 6 just hugely encouraging in, yes, in redoubling my efforts, encouraging me to go yet again in cooperating with the Spirit because the Lord, the Lord is enabling and will enable what he calls us to. That seems to be really strong at the heart of, of five and six, and I find that hugely encouraging. Hmm. Lovely. For you, David? Uh, I, there are two, and I can't pick between them, but I'll be, but I'll be quick. Uh, the um, Galatians 2 and uh, verse 20, um, just those wonderfully simple words. So I think in a, in a letter where there are lots of complex issues to work through, um, that we can do it in almost all words of one syllable. The Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Um, the uh, the idea, I, I think it's Luther, isn't it, who talks about 
Um, what are the kind of most important words in um, in the Bible? Is it does the gospel come down to to prepositions? Does it come down to uh, to verbs? Um, and the idea that it comes down to pronouns. The difference between um, the Son of God who gave Himself and the Son of God who gave Himself for me. Um, so that I think just when I've when I've asked students what what do you think sustains Paul in a ministry that is exhausting in so many ways and and so testing. Um, I think that that sense that he never loses of the love of God that that he individually has experienced and known um, is a really is a really helpful thought to me, uh, and and then uh, the uh, the Hagar and Sarah story. Hmm. Um, it's it's obviously um, it's one that and um, where Paul talks about this can be read in some way allegorically and um, lots of debate and lots of good stuff written about it. But I I love the fact that Paul just constantly turns to those stories in the Old Testament where we see something of human barrenness and impotence, um, where there is there is basically nothing on the human side that's going to bring any good out of this. Mm. And it's in it's exactly into those situations that God moves to bring life. And it's a Romans four sort of thought as well, that God um, is the one who um, takes nothing and makes it something takes dead things and makes them alive who raised the lord jesus from the dead who um to abraham and sarah um who um uh, whose bodies were, were so advanced in age there was no mm. life left yeah. um and that just in in all of the situations in life that i think i i don't even understand that in fully i there's certainly nothing that lies in my power to do to fix it we don't lose hope at that point mm. precisely because god is a god who who takes nothing and makes it something and brings life out of death. Wonderful. I think, Tim, mine is going to follow yours very closely. Um, and one thing I was really struck by when I was rereading this today was in chapter 6, um, the start of chapter 6, um, verses 3 and 4 in particular. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each should carry his own load. And thinking about that in relation to some of what you were talking about with life by the Spirit and the fact that we have the Spirit is a great source of confidence and comfort in not having to rely on our own ability to achieve things and also not having to measure ourselves up constantly. And that's, that's yeah, certainly yeah, a temptation yeah. for myself is thinking, Oh, I'm not as good. I don't know as much. I, I, I haven't done this as well. And actually just right here, having chapter six say, um, on the one hand, don't think of yourself too much. Um, but on the other hand, just l look at yourself and, and compare yourself in your own circumstances and situations and, what God has given you, mm. that's what you should be evaluating your progress and your um, faithfulness is in the context of your own life. And I, I've, I found that really helpful um, going into new situations, difficult situations, and knowing actually living by the Spirit, as Galatians says, is seeking to produce the fruit of the Spirit that um, Galatians 5 talks about and and that that's, that's a gift from God. It's yeah. not me, myself, achieving that either. Wonderful. That's a great place to end. Thank you both very much. Thank you.